Well, hey everybody. How are y'all tonight? It's good to see each of you tonight. Um, how's the week been? I haven't been on, I've been, uh, I was in Santa Fe for a good bit of this week and been doing other things, so I feel like I've been out of, out of step for this week, so um, I, hope, I hope the week was good for those of you who were taking classes, if you were working, I hope you survived. Um, yeah, it's good to see you all this week. Uh, who's tired this week? Man, uh, this, is, this, is, this is the hard part, right? We, really, we look down the runway and we see a lot of runway left to go and uh, not the energy to finish it. So I know, I know that's how I feel coming into um, this, this part of the semester. I know that's where you are. I sense a lot of tiredness on campus. So um, yeah, thanks for spending your time with us. Uh, yeah, I was talking with a freshman yesterday. He said, yeah, I feel like homesickness and tiredness from tests just kind of like hit everybody <laughs> this last week. So um, I think we're all experiencing mental, physical, emotional, social tiredness. Um, and and uh, yeah, and that's, that's amazing because that's actually exactly where our text brings us tonight is that we, we, you know, we think in RUF, we think faith matters. We are, we're a Christian group and we think that Faith, Christian faith in particular, shapes and affects and forms your and my daily life, our habits, um, and that faith is not just some abstract thing that religious people do, but it's actually something that where God comes and guides and restores and applies um, Jesus to our, to our lived life in our tiredness of week, what is this, week seven of, uh, of college. And so... Um, yeah, if there's, a, if there's one place where we need all of Christianity to affect, it's that profound feeling of tiredness that so often I know I feel and I know that many of you feel. And tonight we're going to actually look and see how we're, our series has been this semester, The Heart of the King, The Heart of the King, through the book of Matthew. And we're going to look and see how the heart of King Jesus offers us rest from the weariness that we feel and maybe some of the weariness that we don't feel but we still have and uh, we're going to see how Jesus um, offers you and me the, the profound rest that we desperately need. And so we're going to look at this in, uh, in three ways tonight. Rest in Jesus. We're going to look at first uh, what goes into like, the requisites for rest, what makes rest necessary. Uh, second, the reasons for rest. And third, the refreshment of rest. So that's what we're going to look at. Uh, my phone number is on your little bulletin if you have one of those. Um, and, and I'd love to for you to, as, as I'm talking, for you to be dialoguing with me, shoot me a text and I will uh, respond. I can't answer those, but I will respond to those texts afterwards um, and, uh, and we'll see what happens. So tonight we have a longer piece of text. I'm actually not gonna read all of it. I'm just gonna read a small section, but I'm gonna refer to the other parts of it um, as, as we go forward. Uh, so I'm actually gonna start at verse uh, 25 of chapter 11. Uh, and I'll read that, and then, uh, and then I'll, I'll, we'll go back and look at the other part later. So um, let's read this. This is God's word. It says, At that time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon, me, on, upon you and learn from me, 
For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Let's pray. Uh, Lord in heaven, uh, I'm, I know I'm tired. And more than just mentally, more than one place of tiredness, but it feels like layers of compounded tiredness. Uh, and I know that I'm not the only one in here tonight who feels that way. I pray, Lord, as we study your word, that you would offer us rest that's more restful than the numbing that we seek to find rest in, than the sleeping in that we look to find. We would find the true rest for the deepest part of who we are, our souls in Jesus. Uh, I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so we're going to talk about rest. Don't fall asleep on me. We're going to talk about the three things that I think are three things that Jesus shows us tonight. First, the requisites for rest. Second, the reasons for rest. And third, the refreshment of rest. So the requisites of rest. It's not a great word, but it starts with R, so we're going to roll with it. Um, but so if I were to ask you why you're tired tonight, why am I tired tonight? What would you say? And if you're anything like the students that I've talked to the last seven weeks, the last years that I've been at New Mexico State, you would probably name a list of symptoms and circumstances that are going on in your life, right? Um, you, you would go to some urgent life need, like a test, or some emotional strain that's happening in your life. And you would say, you'd list things like uh, stresses, exhaustion, and you would say, if I, 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 can, I need rest because I had four tests last week. Or I need rest because my boss had to call me in for another shift that I wasn't scheduled for. I need rest because there's drama in my family or there's drama with my friends. I need rest because I have heartbreak or I have relational strain, something like that. You would name uh, a symptom or a circumstance of something that's going on in your life and say, this is, this is why I'm exhausted. And maybe it's all of those things. If, it, if, you're, if you're like most students, it's one or more of those things. And so all of us can name two or three things in our day and in our life, uh, circumstances that are causing us to be tired, right? I know I can. I had a long week, I had some emotionally draining things happen, and so there's times where I'm like, man, I'm just tired, and I, wanna, I want relief from being tired, and so I look to things to numb myself. I get on Instagram, I get on, just like start swiping through YouTube, anything that can just make me not feel quite so tired. And so we want rest. But what's amazing about Scripture, this is so cool, is that Scripture doesn't just go to our circumstances of rest. It doesn't just say like, oh yeah, you're tired because you have four tests. No, Scripture has this incredible incisive ability to cut underneath the symptoms and the circumstances of our wariness and show us the actual real reason why many of us, most of us, are actually exhausted, weary, tired, in need of rest. And scripture tells us that the reasons that we are tired is not actually tests, it's not actually work, that there's something else going on. The real reason that you and I find ourselves weary needing rest is because I think of two things that this text shows us tonight. First, the weariness of an unrepentant world and the weariness of the law. And we're going to look at each of those and, so, and show how they show us that we need rest. These are the things that I think actually wear us down. It's interesting because in a text where Jesus says, hey, I'm going to give you rest, he bookends it at the front and the back with two of these things that actually wear our hearts down, that actually make us rest, that, need, that, that wear us out. And the first is the weariness of the unrepentant world. Look at verses 20 through 24. I'm not going to read them, but I'll let you skim it. 
what is the, what's going on in here? Well, Jesus has been, just before verse 20 through 24, Jesus has been on an absolute ministry marathon. He's been going all over Israel, all over Judea, doing all these incredible things of, 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 of mighty acts, the text tells us. Verse 20, he says, it says, he began to announce the cities where, he, where most of his mighty acts had done. And if you go back in your Bible and you flip back, you see that Jesus has been doing these incredible things. Like people who were physically, he, you know, physically healed. Hungry people who were fed with not very much food. People who you know, just should not have been healed from all these ailments. And, 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 and so it's like if anything is going to prove to people that Jesus is something significant, it's all the things, the mighty works that Jesus had just done. And yet, what does Jesus say? He says he begins to denounce them and say, Woe to you, cities that I've done these awesome things in, because, what does he say here? Verse 20, because they did not repent. Because they did not repent. So here's Jesus. He preaches this amazing sermon. He does these empower, incredible, powerful acts of showing, I'm God, trust in me, follow me. And people say, nah, rather not. I'd rather not. The world rejects Jesus. Jesus does these incredible works to display his mercy and his power and his love and his gentleness. And by and large, the world just looks at him and goes, meh, not really interesting. The world rejects Jesus. And scripture tells us throughout the rest of the Bible and even in Matthew that the reason why this happens is because the world is spiritually dead. The world is spiritually closed off to Jesus and to his followers. The world is a system of powers and rulers and systems that refuse to accept Jesus' teaching and Jesus' authority and Jesus' actions. The world has a different series of, of, of acceptance narratives, of ways of getting love and value and they reject what Jesus says. They spurn Jesus. And if you stick with Matthew long enough, it gets so far that they reject Jesus so much that they kill him. The world eventually kills him. And not only does that happen to Jesus, but Jesus tells us elsewhere in, his Bible, in the Bible, he says, hey, if they reject me, how much more are they going to reject my followers? How much more are they going to reject those who follow after me? And so the world rejects it, it, it unrepentantly rejects Jesus and his followers. So that means that if you're a follower of Jesus, you can do and will expect at least resist, resistance, but probably rejection from your world. And that wears us down. That, that grind in and out, day in, day out, of friends rejecting us because of our faith in Christ if you're a Christian here tonight, it wears us down. In fact, Jesus, what does he say in, in his Beatitudes? We looked at this a couple of weeks ago. He says, Blessed are you when others revile and persecute you and other all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus earlier, and before, just before this, he says, he says that, that following him is a narrow path that few will choose. And that following him means taking up a cross and dying to ourselves risking consistent rejection and that and that just piles up and compiles and wears us down if of people saying no and of you saying no to the things that your friends are pressuring you to do and ah, just come out have a drink with us have five drinks with us it's fun you need to blow off some steam and you're like oh, man 
I just know that's not, what, that's not what's healthy for me. I know this because I talk with you all about this. This is pressure that you feel. Rejecting the impulses of, your, of, your, of, of, of sexually doing things that you're like, I know this isn't what's good for me sexually. Of saying no to patterns of cheating in your schoolwork when everybody's doing it. Everybody's just going to get And you're just like, ugh, I can't do this. I'm not going to. Over and over again, the systems of the world wear us down because it's an unrepentant world that rejects Jesus. We reject Jesus and that wears us down. That makes us tired. That's why ministry, that's why being a Christian in a college context is so challenging today. That's why most of your peers aren't interested in things of faith because it's, it's challenging. It, they don't want to do it. The, the world is in a slowly, it's is generally rejecting Jesus and rejecting those who follow him. And so we, we shouldn't be surprised when life beats us up. We've talked about this consistently over... If you, anything you're going to learn from hanging out with RUF, I'm going to say over and over again, being a Christian is hard. Being a Christian is not an easy thing. If you're here tonight and you're wondering, ah, am I in for this Christian thing? Let me tell you, you're not in it because it's easy. You're in it because it's good. Being a Christian is challenging. In fact, if you were with us at Fall Conference... Last weekend, Jeff, uh, the pastor, he reminded us that the first image of the follower of God is a wanderer and a pilgrim. Somebody who has no home, somebody who has to trust for their future, someone who is just, is just waiting, waiting for something to happen in their life. And so I think part of why you and I are wary is because the unrepentant world wears on us. But that's not just it. That's not the other reason. Remember, Jesus gives us two reasons why I think we're wary but underneath the circumstances. The second one is the wariness of the law. Look at chapter 12 here. So in this one, uh, this is verses 1 through 8. Again, skim it. This is right after Jesus gives his, and what we'll see in a bit, his, he says, come to me, you are heavy laden. And, and he, he makes this incredible statement of find rest in him. And right after that, the religious experts come to Jesus and say, hey, we're going to test this. You say rest, we're going to test it with the big thing of rest than the law, the Sabbath. And if you know anything about the Jewish religious system, the Sabbath was given by God to his people as a means to rest, but the religious experts had twisted it and perverted it and, and distorted this thing into becoming a major way of proving and earning how righteous, how moral, how upstanding you were. And so the religious experts come to Jesus and say, hey, you offer rest? Well, what about the law? The, follow, the, the, law, the law of God says, hey, you have to Sabbath. We're expecting you. You've got to measure up to this Sabbath thing. And Jesus' followers begin to do some non-restful things on the Sabbath. And they say, hey, you're not, you're not doing the lawful thing here. You're not, you're not measuring up. You're not obeying the law here. And this becomes a case study for one of the major programs that Jesus is all about. A case study for the Sabbath, which was supposed to be a day of refreshment and rest and intimacy with God and his people. The Pharisees had perverted it into a legal necessity of earning God's acceptance. Of earning love and acceptance from God. Now, you might be thinking, Jonathan, I'm not Jewish. I live in New Mexico State. This is not applicable to me. And I would beg to differ, and I say this a lot around RUF, I think what's happening here is that it applies to you and me because the heart motives 
The machines working in their hearts are the same machines that are happening in your and my heart every day when we're in campus, when we're in life. Because every single person in history has a disposition, has a baseline operating program of seeking to earn favor, earn approval, earn love, earn acceptance. That's what we're all doing. Each one of us has pieced together, has compiled some cocktail of a system of, if I do this, 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 and this, then I will be loved, valued, and accepted by the people that matter. Maybe myself, maybe my parents, maybe my coaches, maybe my friends, maybe my professors, maybe my pastor. Each one of us is piecing together a legal system, a law system that says, if I measure up, then I will be loved. And so we just replace the Sabbath with other things. School excellence, relationships, romance, how much money we earned, our religious or moral performance, our athletics. And all of these things become, like the Sabbath to the Pharisees, an external goalpost of success and performance that we assess ourselves by and judge ourselves and judge others. Did they measure up? Did I measure up? And what happens is it never works, right? It never works. If you have a 4.0, then you need to have an internship. If you have the 4.0 in the internship, then you got to have community service. If you have community service, you just we're constantly piling more things on top of ourselves to prove our acceptance. If you have a if you have a boyfriend, well, you need to find someone more attractive. You have to earn their love even more. We're constantly, you know, whatever whatever that thing is, whatever those things that you've pieced together for yourself. We're always looking for more. We're always looking to say, I have to up the ante. I have to earn and prove myself more. And these laws for self-validation, these laws that we create ourselves, that we create for ourselves, they never work. And so we're never at peace. We're always working. We're never resting. One of the main reasons, I'm convinced, one of the main reasons that you and I are tired in our lives is because we have created some standard that we could never reach and we're never reaching and so we're exhausted. We're exhausted. And Jesus tells us here that something greater is here than self-proving and self-validation. And so when you combine these two, the grind of an unrepentant world and the compulsive rat race of the law, these things combine into a deeply soul-sucking wariness that is the college experience. That is why you and I are tired. And so that's the first thing. What, what goes in, what, what are the requisites for rest? Like, why is rest, why is weariness a thing? So that gives us, that brings us to the second point, which is the reasons for rest. The reasons for rest And now here Jesus is starting to unwind and unravel in our anxious, restless hearts and starts to lay some of the theological groundwork for why we can rest. And so we're going to focus here on verse 25 through 27. Look with me here at these verses here. He says, says, the main question is here, why can I or why should we rest in Jesus? And Jesus says, Jesus could just come up to us and say like, hey, um, you should rest in me. And we'd be like, "Um, prove it. Prove it. And Jesus says, okay, I will. Let me show you. Verse 25 through verse 26. At this time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. 
Yes, Father, for such is your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the one who knows the... Sorry, no one knows the Father, my Father, and no one... Sorry, where am I? Sorry, I lost my... And all these things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son reveal, chooses to reveal him. All right, what's going on in here? In these verses, Jesus is giving you and me the theological reason. He's pouring a concrete footer for why he can then say, rest in me. He's giving us the foundation theologically for it. And you know what this, we know what the reason is? God is in control. God is in control. Jesus shows us here that the Father is in control. Look at verses 26, uh, 25 through 26 at first. He says, At this time, Jesus declared, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth. Right off the bat, he's saying, God, you are the Lord, you are the sovereign, you are the king over everything that can be seen. You created everything. You made it all. You made everything on earth. You made everything in the heavens. It's yours. And you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding. That means, God, you are working, even people who think they're all that intellectually and academically think they're smart, you've outsmarted them. You're wiser. You're more profound. You're more intelligent than, than the most intelligent people in the world. And you've uncovered the things, and we'll talk about what these things are, to little children, to those who say, I don't know what's going on. He says those are the people that he uncovers himself to, that he reveals himself to. Then he says, verse 26, Yes, Father, for such is your gracious will. Now, that word gracious will is actually very difficult to translate. I, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out what, how, how do I communicate what this is. And, and it, 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 another way to translate it would be your perfect desire or your merciful plan. So gracious will, perfect desire, or merciful plan. That's kind of what's going on in there in the original language. And in other words, what he's saying here, he says, yes, it was God. It is it is God is at work behind in and through everything that is happening in your and my life. God is at work in everything in behind and through what is happening in your life. And not only that, but he is working in behind and through everything that is happening in your and my life to reveal and to uncover his good and saving and redeeming and restoring plan for his children. Not for those who are worldly wise, not for those who are spiritually successful, not for those who are unrepentant, not for those who have tried really, really hard to measure up, but for simple children who trust him, who love him, God is at work to reveal his saving plan for them. And verse 27 is even more powerful. I wish I could, this verse is amazing. All things have been handed over to me by my Father. Well, first that assumes that the Father has, he has the power to to hand all things over. He's in total control and he gives it freely to the Son. And no one knows the Son except the Father and no one knows the Father except the Son. What's going on here? It means that Jesus is showing here that the Father and the Son are on the same page. They're working together. They're, they are on the same page. They're united in mind, plan, and desire for the salvation and good and mercy and, of his own children. So twice, twice in verse 25 and verse 27, it talks about revealing things. What's being revealed? 
the revealing, the uncovering, is God himself. Revealing of the Father is revealing of the Son. So it's God showing himself in who he is, the heart of the King, disposed towards his children in love, mercy, grace, peace, acceptance, charity. That's how God reveals himself to us. And God is revealing his perfect control, his kingly love, his fatherly affection to his own. And so what these verses are saying here, he's saying, my father's in control. He's good. He's disposed towards you with a perfect, peaceful, good plan. He has all of these things. he's, He's showing himself. He's working savingly, restoringly in your life. Even now, right now. You don't have to earn it. You don't have to prove it. He's working to redeem, restore, and renew the lives, the hopes, and the hearts of his people when we trust in Christ. That's the theological foundation of the rest at work in Jesus. And if that's true, friends, if that is true, that the Father and the Son are on the same page to reveal and restore and renew good things in your life in the midst of exhaustion, then Jesus can come forward and say, Come to me. Rest in what the Father is doing and what I am doing for your good. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Rest for your souls. And so, so we look at why is rest necessary? We look at the theological reason for rest. And so finally, we zero in on Jesus' famous words here. And this, this is the heart of the king. If there's one thing that you come away from this semester learning about Jesus. It's that he wants you to rest in his love for you. That he is disposed in peace and love and charity and mercy and free gifts to you and all you do is you say oh my gosh i didn't don't think i knew that at least i'm relearning that i am i just receive it i trust in jesus anew for the first time what's happening here is that jesus is saying that when you and i are weary tired and heavy laden from a grief and hurt of a world that beats us up and from a law that cannot fulfill us He's saying that the Bible shows us over and over that God is in control of our lives, that he's a good father who's working to redeem us. And if that is true, if that is true, then we can come to Jesus with our burdens, with our labor, and find the true rest, not just the relief, but the rest that our souls need. In fact, if that's true, there's this great book out on the book table called Gentle and Lowly about this passage that said, and the, the author of that book says that it's your very burdens, it's the things that you're bringing to Jesus that qualify you to, to come to him. So if you're laboring with the burden of guilt and shame, things that have been done to you or things that you've done the last week, the last month, the last year, your lifetime, where you say, surely God would never accept me with this. Jesus says, come, it's okay, I love you, it's going to be all right. The burden of hurting friends. You're coming and you say, Jonathan, I am carrying burdens from my friends that you can't imagine. And no one's carrying my burdens. Jesus says, it's okay, come. My father is on his throne. 
He is in control. He is working to save you and me from all of this. The burden of proving yourself, proving yourself to yourself, the burden of proving yourself to your friends, to your professors, to whomever. Jesus says, it's okay. There's no pressure. I love you because I love you. Come to me, you who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The heavy laden, wet wool blanket on our hearts of depression and anxiety that just seems to cloud every moment of our day. Jesus says, come to me with your depression. It's okay. I'm in the business of healing depressed people. It's going to be all right. Come to me and I will give you rest. Jesus is saying that his heart disposition to a works, law, weary world is gentle and lowly. He's, dis- he's, he's disposed towards us in meekness and accessibility. And <clears throat> this struck me today. I, I was working on this and my daughter was taking a nap. She's two years old and she woke up from her nap early and she was crying. She's got a little sniffles. She's got a little cold. And she woke up and, and I walked in. I said, hey, what do you need? And she says, I need the cuddles. And so we just, I picked her up and we went and sat down in her chair and, uh, and, and we just, and we just cuddled for 15 minutes and that was that and that, then she was like okay I go play now and I was thinking I was like doggone it I'm so tired I am so worn out this week and Jesus just says what do you need what do you need and I just said I, I don't know what I need I just need to be close to you and Jesus says okay let's just be close it's going to be all right that Jesus' disposition towards your heart and in in your and in, in my heart in our anxiety, in our fears, in our frustrations, in our anger, in our sadness, in our numbness, whatever. Jesus reaches out to you and says, I can take it. I can carry it. I love you. I will give you rest. The best way I can describe this is, I don't know if any of you have ever gone backpacking before, but there's this thing that happens when you go backpacking where you've been hiking with this heavy pack on your, day, on your back for days, and, you know, for, for several hours, you know, 25, 50 pounds, whatever. You're walking and this pack just like weighs you down. And after doing several miles up, you're like, I don't know what it feels like to not be like weighed down by this pack. And eventually you get to your camp and you unclip your backpack and it falls off and you're like, oh. And you just feel so light and you feel like there's nothing there and you just feel effortless. And you're just like, I could just fly off and, and be a little bird. And it's just amazing. And that's what, as we sit in the presence and heart of Jesus towards us, slowly but surely the burdens, the anxiety, the depression, all of those things, Jesus says, I can take those things. Come to me, you are weary, and I will give you rest. I've, uh, I'll close with this. I've been reading the book of Jeremiah in my morning quiet times. And Jeremiah is a long book. I was actually talking with someone about this yesterday. The first 30 chapters of Jeremiah are heavy. Like they are heavy because it's basically the prophet Jeremiah yelling at the Israelites for 30 pages saying, why are you not worshiping God? God is going to destroy you. Please repent. He's going to bring a foreign nation who's going to wipe you out. And if that happens over and over and over and over again for 30 chapters... He says, repent, and they don't. He says, God, deliver me out of this unrepentant world, and nothing happens. He says, I'm going, and God says, I'm going to punish my people with 70 years of captivity. And Jeremiah says, I can't bear this anymore for 30 chapters. It's just overwhelming. And then in chapter 31, God comes to Jeremiah and he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, 
I will restore my people Israel to homes. And listen to this. He says, I will satisfy the weary soul and every languishing soul I will repent it. I will satisfy the weary soul and every languishing soul I will replenish. And friends, that's what Jesus comes and says, that's me. I'm the one who will come and restore all the longings, all the, all the not rightness of your and my world. That is Jesus' towards dis- disposition towards you when, you when we repent, when we turn from our legalistic impulses, when we turn from our attempts to prove ourselves, we crawl into his arms and say, I need the cuddles, which sounds strange, but that's what Jesus does towards us. I will satisfy the weary soul, and every languishing soul I will replenish. So Jesus says to you tonight, no matter where you're coming from, Christian, non-Christian, walking with God for a while, never heard this before, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Trust the goodness of the Father and come to Jesus. Let me pray. Lord in heaven, uh, this is hard for us to understand in our world which says hustle, push, grind, perform, measure up, um, which makes us so tired, makes me so tired, um, wears us down, and yet you are simply present with us in love and goodness. Please show us that tonight. Show us that this week. The simple easy presence of Jesus. May that be true for this community. May that be true for this campus. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.